Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. It's episode number 38 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is a show where two nerds talk about the Sci-Fi Channel's long-running franchise, Stargate. I'm really excited. Tammy's coming on in a few minutes. We haven't had her for a couple of, a couple of months on the show. It's been way too long, so she's finally going to be uh, back with us, and it's a very appropriate podcast. Yeah, what's our topic today? Perceptions of sci-fi fans. This was your idea. The kernel of the idea was, what do other people think of us? And uh, from our perspective, of course, you know, from what we've had to put up with, oh, you're a Star Trek mm-hmm. fan, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, and that's what we're going to discuss. So really, it's, it's kind of how do we perceive that people perceive us. It's all you can do. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, we have, uh, we're fresh back from Vancouver with lots of interview footage. We're going to give you a preview of our new interview with Brad Wright and Robert C. Cooper, the co-creators of Stargate Universe and Stargate Atlantis. Plus, we have tons of news, site features, and listener mail. Tons of news. We've actually skipped the news section a couple weeks recently because there's been so little news. But there, this was the busiest news week that I can remember, and part of it was all the, the goodies coming out of the convention, but a lot of it was just, just coincidental timing. There's tons of news up on the mm-hmm. site to talk about right now. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for April 14th, 2009. Our lead story is that it's official. The third Stargate SG-1 movie has a go. We've heard the official news from several sources over the course of the last week. Uh, Brad Wright told us in that interview that we conducted with him in Vancouver. And Richard Dean Anderson confirmed it on his fan site, rdanderson.com. And then I think it was uh, Joe Malazzi on his blog also confirmed it. So the script for the movie is still being written. It's being written by Brad and by Carl Binder. Uh, But the green light means officially, I I guess, that MGM has committed the production budget for this movie. And we are officially going ahead and filming. Now, when that filming is going to happen is still kind of up in the air. Uh, And John Smith talked about this a little bit when he was on stage uh, at the convention two Sundays ago, which was that he and Brad both said that they're aiming for the fall, but there might be a little bit of overlap with Stargate Universe. I think what they're trying to avoid is shooting too much at the same time. A fall shoot is most likely at this point, which means 2010 for the film. It's about time to get another one. Anderson's not only going to be appearing in the next Stargate film, but Universe as well, along with Michael Shanks and Gary Jones. They are all gating into the pilot episode of Universe Air. Yeah, Rick talked uh, in his note on the website, on his website, about uh, appearing in the two-hour premiere, which I guess is Air Parts 1 and 2. Not sure if he's going to be in both parts, not sure if he's going to be in Part 3, which is going to air a week later. Or if he just doesn't know that, that, that it's a three-part premiere, yeah. Michael Shanks is going to do a cameo appearance, which is really cool. Both O'Neill and Jackson obviously kicked off Atlantis five years ago, uh, which I think is a lot of fun bringing those two characters who were the original characters in the movie and having them continue to launch each successive show. And then elsewhere in Universe News, we heard that Sky One has picked up the show to air it over there in the United Kingdom. That's the same channel that aired SG-1 and Atlantis in new episodes. They'll be airing Universe starting in the fall. Should be coordinated to air right about the same time as the episodes are airing on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. And uh, Space in Canada, which I got to watch a little bit of while we are up there. Space is going to get Stargate Universe. And then if you're keeping tabs on the Stargate Universe trailers, there's a new one that aired... Uh, with Stargate Continuum two Fridays ago on Sci-Fi Channel. It's called Philosophical. Uh, We don't have it on GateWorld Play because it's a Sci-Fi Channel exclusive, but we do have it up on the site via YouTube, or you can watch it at sci-fi.com. And then there's another another video that's come out the last couple weeks, which is a Sci-Fi Channel brand film for their 2009-2010 broadcast season. And this is lots of quick cuts of their their new original shows all laced together Eureka Caprica um, and then Stargate Universe is in there so there's several quick little one two second scenes of new Mm -hmm. footage for Universe that we've never seen before Mm -hmm. so um, you can find that on YouTube 
and uh, we've got a screen capture gallery for it now. What did you think of Philosophical? I'll give you something I liked about it and something I didn't like about it. I like the fact that the trailer gave us more of an insight into the individual characters. We're starting to focus more personally on the characters uh, versus sort of the, the frantic, dark nature of, of Frantic, the first trailer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hated the music. I hated, hated the music. You see, this is, this is the continual... A downside of us working together is, you know, you and I have the exact same thing to say. <laughs> I was just about to say, my, my, I loved that the characters were involved in, in this much more, but I thought that the music sounded like Austin's Creek. Like you said to me before, uh, it really didn't do them any favors. Yeah. So, yeah. But there it is. It's another 30 seconds of Stargate Universe. So, mm-hmm. we'll we'll take all the nuggets that we can get between now and the fall. Something else that is still in production is Stargate Worlds, the massively multiplayer online role-playing game, which is being produced by Cheyenne Mountain Entertainment. Uh, The new news in the last couple of weeks is that uh, when we were speaking with Brad in Vancouver, we asked him for an update uh, because the the studio has been very, very quiet. They've been in in what they call a media blackout, uh, not releasing any new info about the game. So we asked Brad uh, if he knew what was going on and if this game was still being made and was going to get done. Uh, And Brad's comments were basically what I would describe as sort of a vote of no confidence. So we have that story up on GateWorld. After we talked with Brad, we spoke with a representative from Cheyenne Mountain and got their take on it. And Cheyenne Mountain once again reassures us that the game is still being produced. It will come out. They're still looking for financing to finish it but they have every intention of getting it out to market, which is very encouraging. So there's another story up on GateWorld, and you can find links to both of those in the show notes. If you're hankering for Season 5 of Atlantis on DVD, fear not. I'm hankering. June 30th, 2009 has been confirmed as the DVD release date for Stargate Atlantis Season 5. So mark your calendars. You can go to Amazon.com through GateWorld and uh, support the site with your purchase. That'll have the usual bonus features, uh, audio commentaries for uh, just about every episode, if not every one. There have been some seasons in the past that have missed. They've done like one episode that didn't have an audio commentary. So we don't have a list of bonus features yet. And the other DVD news that I wanted to talk about is uh, Brad Wright, uh, during his stage panel with Rob Cooper at the convention, announced that Children of the Gods, the remake of the original SG-1 pilot movie, uh, is all done and is sitting with Fox and MGM waiting for their timetable for release. So hopefully we'll hear news about that soon. But the news that he announced is that he did an audio commentary for Children of the Gods with Richard Dean Anderson, which is very sweet. Mm-hmm. He's never done an audio commentary before, so uh, it was a chance for him to rewatch the episode all at one go. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, he was impressed with how much darker his hair was. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a couple of cool new items out there if you like buying Stargate goodies. Uh, Quantum Mechanics, which is uh, the, the studio that made the F-302 model. Uh, has just announced that they are going to release a series of Stargate animated maquettes. And these are nine-inch statuettes that are are sort of cartoonish versions of the characters. They're basically uh, animation studios, artists who work for animation studios, uh, make maquettes in order to see what a computer model will look like and to do things like test lighting. You sculpt an actual physical model and then you build the model in the computer. This is going to be a limited edition and the first one's going to be Teal'c. There's a picture of him on the gate world right now uh, in his in his Jaffa armor holding the staff weapon. A limited production run of 1,000 units. And I think these mm-hmm. look pretty cool. I like the, the design of the Teal'c. He's standing on a little Stargate as a base. But I ask myself, you know, is this something that I want to own? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just not sure yet. And then when I read later on in that article that they're they're now coming out with some Stargate coasters. Yep, that's you know, the other one. They're they're working to um, really get the detail of the coasters. I I don't know, man. It's like we we haven't really tapped what the uh, Stargate product market can do, and mm. we're just kind of we're just kind of making stuff. I I loved the F three hundred two. I thought that was brilliant. I fully support QMX. But I need to see more stuff that I actually 
want to buy. These are just really specific items. I think the coasters are cool, and I wouldn't mind nerding up my family room with some of these coasters. They're supposed to be available this week, actually. Uh, you can get a set of four Stargate coasters for about 30 bucks at quantummechanics.com. I would actually be more interested in these if they were affordable uh, for my scrawny budget. More interested in these than the action figures. I've never been a big fan of the action figures. They've they tried to go for a very, very realistic, uh, you know, scanning the actors' faces and sculpting uh, the figures, the 7-inch the figures, so that they look as close to the actors as possible. And they were always just kind of, except for Teal'c maybe, they were just far enough off that they creeped me out. So going with a, a more exaggerated, cartoony look, I think I could get into a little bit more. Don't know how much these are going to cost yet, but they will be under under a hundred dollars. Says says Andy. Individually, oh, I hope so. <laughs> Gateworld features. And in addition to all that news, Gateworld's been doing lots and lots of coverage of Vancouver 2009, the big creation convention that we just got back from. We've been doing photo galleries out the wazoo. Almost 500 pictures have now been posted on the. That's uh... got to be a record for us. Thanks to our photographers first, uh, help me remember, Rink Rat, Weird 2, Tal from VanishInquisition.com. MS Burndo uh, 8. Um, MS Burndo 8. And Jack, Jack CSM. CSM. And That's me right. and you. That's right. So we all contributed photos to this gallery and check it out because it's cool and it's high res and it shows you the fun that we had last week. And then Chad has been doing our daily write-ups and he did a great job. And the interviews that we uh, that we got from the event, we'll be spooling those out over the next uh, few weeks. About nine or ten of those, ultimately. Most of them are video. So you're going to have audio and video for a lot of those, if not every single one of them. If you were listening to our podcast last week, you got a little snippet of the interview with Brad Wright and Rob Cooper uh, at Bridge Studios. Uh, But uh, here's another little nugget, just to keep you interested. This interview is going to be coming your way later this week. When we were here talking to you last year, Arc of Truth had just come out and seemed to be doing very, very well in sales. Uh, And Continuum was obviously getting ready for its big summer release and the big Comic-Con push. Uh, from our end of the table, it looked like those movies did tremendously well for direct-to-DVD to with the budgets they had. Uh, so I'm, I've been scratching my head a little stymied at, at MGM's thought process in terms of greenlighting more. Well, <clears throat> the reality is they did do very well, and, and they did very well right at the, uh, at the tail end of a, of a time when the economy was still really cooking. Yeah. Come on, things have changed a little bit. They do, I mean, a lot of these things get get produced based on projections, not on past performance of other mm-hmm. things. So they look at how stuff is doing in the market, and they pr- try and predict what the new product will do. And so those projections get affected by by sales of product that is in the marketplace right now, not not the movie that was released last year, the Stargate movie. I mean, there's a certain baseline they can expect based on the franchise's past performance, mm-hmm. but everything is down significantly across the board, and so whether the budget that they that we think will make a good product is viable for them is where the, uh, you know, there's a slight disconnect. The main discussion. So the main discussion topic this week is perceptions of sci-fi fans. Are you scorned? Do you feel left out? Do you feel like you're from another planet, perhaps? Uh, that's the discussion that's just for you. Like Kiwi said, I'm sure she's rolling her eyes and, and going, here we go again. Like sh- like um, like you'll hear in the portion of uh, the discussion which we carried over from last week, you know, some of us do feel normal, but some of us uh, growing up felt a little bit on, like you'll hear in, in the segment that we're about to play. So I'm interested in, in getting Tammy's thoughts. Tammy is back with us this week. Cue that awesome music and the drum roll. Yes, that's right. I can I can do that, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, Gate World. Welcome back, Tammy. It is good to be back. I, I definitely, you know, beg, borrow, and steal and, and bug you guys enough to let me be on these, so thank you. Last week's uh, convention podcast went a little bit over time. We knew that this topic was coming up, and so we decided to ask that group while we had them all there what, what they thought about this one. So 
you said it last week. This is really, I think, part two of that that initial discussion about conventions and convention experiences. This is now the other side. When you tell people you're going to a, a Stargate convention, or when you come home and tell them where you've been, do you feel <laughs> like they're looking at you like you are a weirdo? So let's go ahead and um, jump right back into that discussion from from last last week's uh, show. Let uh, let those guys carry the momentum, and then we'll uh, we'll jump in. Crazy Fandom fan sector. podcast is coming up. Crazy fan podcast is coming up. Oh boy, that's right. Let's talk about the way that's the nickname. The way that normal people view us. Yeah. Yes. Abnormals, us specials. You know what? When <laughs> science when, fiction fans. When my workmates. Um, found out I was coming to one of these conventions, and it was not my first, might I add. Um, Workmate or convention? uh, Not my first convention. Right. And um, more than one occasion, I've had, I've just seriously, the room stopped. They looked at me, Mm -hmm. and their exact words were, my God, you're so... N- but you're so you're normal. So normal. Exactly. But you're so normal. I thought they were going to say, oh my God, you're a Trekkie. No, I, I have heard those exact, <laughs> exact words in someone's mouth. But you seem so, so normal. Every yeah. job. You seem so normal. But, but these are so people normal. that don't know you. How about your own person... This is what I'm going to dabble in the next no. week. But how about your own personal families? Are we considered kind of the oddball in our family? I am. I'm very lucky. I'm married a fanboy. Married a fanboy. (laughs) I'm married a fanboy. I I am the only one. Well, I have an odd family situation though. But um, my father and I. My father is actually the one that turned me on to science fiction. He's not. So I mean, books and um, you know Doctor Who and Hitchhiker's Guide, and he's the one that got me into everything. So he's very understanding. But I'm. He's the only one. Well, I didn't. Go ahead. My dad was a big sci-fi fan too, and he's the one that got me into Mine it. Mine too. Yeah, my, my too, I'm definitely like the, the like freak me. of the family, and they love they love me for yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, my so. father's never been to a convention or. Darren's um. remaining silent. <laughs> sometimes I feel like kind of the odd one out, but I think that's more my perception of myself. Sometimes what I do don't they think, think that that in my families, um, both both my my family growing up and my family now, which is my wife is a huge sci-fi fan, and we're going to raise our kids to watch Stargate. Uh, and then, and then going Dressing home a to her family. Her family, you know, grew up on on Star Trek: The Next Generation, and her dad is a big science fiction fan. So there, I'm kind of cool. I'm kind of big stuff because I get to go up here and do interviews. And well, thank you guys. You've completely neutralized my point for one of the next podcasts. <laughs> we'll talk about it more. Well, um, my go ahead. But let me ask you guys to, in the context of this this convention, when your friends and families and coworkers found out that you were coming here and what this was, what did they say? I never ever tell my coworkers where I'm going. It's a girls' trip. They it's understand vacation. Vacation. It's a girls' trip. They understand that. That's what it is. Yeah. As yeah. soon as I say I'm going to convention, what kind of convention? <laughs> I want a sci-fi convention. Oh. that's right and that's exactly the reaction you get I mean I'm my dad was a a big sci-fi fan I remember going to see Star Wars at four years old but I never really I never really saw that as abnormal until I became a big sci-fi fan and started doing this and but my friends now I mean it it seems like to me at least I tend to gravitate to people who are sci-fi fans our friends as a couple are all sci-fi fans. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't, they wouldn't get us. Mm-hmm. We're geeky. And they don't get that. I mean, our we used to have friends who were quote-unquote normal, but it's it's they don't get it. And so it's we tend to gravitate more toward people who are are geeky like we are. And not yeah. so like, well, how are the how are the cowboys doing this weekend? You know things like that. It's <laughs> very similar, but it def- definitely under most circumstances a different sphere but I have people. to say I have kind of the opposite experience as Lisa where I'm the only one that is a sci-fi fan out of most of my friends because I mean mo- doesn't it bite <laughs> most, well most of my friends are friends that I've had since I was 12 13 years old and you know we grew up together and mm-hmm. um, you know you change from when you're a kid and develop your own interest and I veered towards the sci-fi and they did not so I'm really the only one and I'll sit there and I try to if I even mention Stargate or Star Trek or anything, they're just like, whatever, here she goes again. <laughs> the most common question that I got throughout grade school from people in my grade who I didn't know very well, oh, it's David, are you still watching Star Trek? <laughs> it's always the question, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. 
give me a break. And now I'm working with one of the biggest sci-fi franchises in the world. So. Well, and, and you know, <clears throat> frack it's, that. <laughs> it's it's horrible that they define you by are you still watching Star Trek? Mm-hmm. It's like there's nothing else to David Reed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's well, that's truth be told, there almost wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. oh well. I've got a lot of friends who are into science fiction, but then they're, they're not into sci-fi, and I say that with inverted S-Y-F-Y S-Y-F-Y, they're not into <laughs> yeah, S-Y-F-Y So they like Battlestar Galactica and Lost they and watch Heroes Battlestar and Galactica, like They X-Men. watch Heroes they, they, but they don't watch Stargate because it falls just enough the into The Pointed Ears category The yes. Pointed Ears category, but um, Battlestar Galactica oh, It's all good pointed ears, really. Well, and when yeah. you say <laughs> I'm a, when you say I'm a sci-fi fan they say, oh, so you watch Star Trek mm-hmm. I don't watch Star Trek my it mother. still largely defines our genre, though. Yeah, it does. I mean, it really does. It's the one show I really don't care. Don't care about. I mean, yeah. it's it's so much. I My mother watched it when I was a kid, but now it's, it's to me, it's too much technobabble. It's not enough adventure. Too much technobabble. Yeah. Mm. It's very disconnected from us in it's a lot of ways. It's very disconnected. It's an idealized version of us that does not exist. But yet I watch Farscape. Yeah. What? Wendy, how about you? Me? What about me? Are you an odd duck in your family and in your friend groups? Um, well, most of my friends are online, so I fit right in. Although <laughs> you found your strange. <laughs> but in um, real life, I mean, you know, is, does that has that your has your interests in sci-fi and things like that made it difficult to, to connect with other people, or are you just happily um, well, introverted? I'm anti-social by nature, by nature anyway, yeah. so I think that's more of a keeps me apart from people than the fact that I like sci-fi. Although I am kind of snobby about it, so if people don't like sci-fi, I won't have anything to do with them. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, all... they just can't relate, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll make pop off some reference like Dr. Horrible, <clears throat> yeah, I and don't, people I just don't it get all, it. Yeah. Or it's like not my that we don't get shirt. it, but we have, to ref- we have to figure out where you're coming from with it, and then go, oh, okay, you have to feed us breadcrumbs. <laughs> I guess it's just that sci-fi is not the first thing I tell people about myself. Mm-hmm. And that's not by design, that's simply... Well, I guess out in my day-to-day normal real life. And there's the fact that you don't feel like defending yourself because there is that that group of people where you, if you say that you're a sci-fi fan, that you've been to conventions, they automatically lump you into this stereotypical category where you live in your parents' basement (laughs) and don't, have never had a boyfriend or girlfriend and, you know, have no social skills Mm. and... And I resent that. And I, it's almost like you feel like you have to preface the fact that you're a sci-fi fan Mm -hmm. with something... Mm -hmm. First, like, oh, but I'm not. I'm not one of those sci-fi. <laughs> I I deflect it by uh, self-abasement. When I was telling people that I was coming here, uh, you know, you start by saying I'm going out of town. Uh, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> this is level one. Uh, this is level one. Uh, level one is uh, I have a business trip, <laughs> which is true. And yeah. then they keep asking, "Well, where are you going?" Um, level two. <laughs> And then there comes a point where I have to decide if I'm going to go all the way and say, have you ever watched Stargate? <laughs> oh, is that the one with MacGyver? Uh, no. if Star they know Trek? That yeah. But no, um, Stargate. <laughs> and, and eventually the, the whole story comes out when, when they keep pressing me. And, well, I run this big website. and it's, uh, But I deflect it uh, by saying I'm going to a nerd convention because <laughs> I run a big nerd website. <laughs> cool. I, mean, I, ever, I don't think I've ever deflected. I'm very upfront about what I am. <laughs> what you are? Yes. Not who you are? Well, that too. That too. It's part of the same thing. As I said, you know, when I was little, and oh, are you still watching Star Trek? When I tell people now, when people ask me, what do I do? You know, my title is very complicated. I'm a web content developer and a content vendor for several different outlets with, with Stargate. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so condensing that, I say, I work for Stargate. I'm the coolest person in the room <laughs> because I work for a TV show. When it really boils down to it, you know, when it's what it's kind of come. So I am um, getting my kicks after a few years of torment. I'm enjoying myself now. <laughs> I have no issues telling people that I'm coming to a sci-fi convention. No. I mean, I don't offer it up as the first thing about myself, <laughs> but no. uh, yeah, I'm telling professors. 
You are? Yeah. Good on you. I think my bosses double, did a double take when I was so... I'm like, I'm going to Vancouver. I'm going to go to a sci-fi convention. It's going to be great. They're probably you're dressing up and putting on yeah, makeup and, and they all say, this oh, stuff. They, you, they think this Do you stuff. get that's, costumes? See, I'm like, only, that's only the on first question I get. Only do you dress up? I love yeah. that question. Well, yeah. the answer yeah. is... Actually, yes. yes, but not all the time. But and you and you should see pictures because it's not what you're thinking. You it's have like, made elegant, text, elegant you know? gowns, which I think we talked about in the convention podcast. Tammy and I did. Mm-hmm. You, Lisa, you and Tammy are, are pretty close buddies, so yeah, um, it's given you an outlet for your creativity. Oh, absolutely! And I actually worked on a costume for this, but I became employed, and <laughs> <laughs> that kind of slowed down. Uh, so Chicago, we'll take that to Chicago. <laughs> but it's something you'll yeah. have better chances of winning. Probably. <laughs> well, and considering the amount of handwork I've had to put in this costume. How about, yeah. how about your past costumes that you've made? Uh, well, I went, um, I, last time I went in Taylor's funeral dress. Mm. Um, I went in Vala's peasant costume. Uh, from the Avalon, part one into an ori- origin. From Avalon, yeah. Part two in origin, yeah. Part two in origin, yeah. I loved that costume. Okay. Well, was, and, and the funeral dress was gorgeous. Have you seen that thing? It was gorgeous. Critical Mass? From Critical yes. Mass. Mm-hmm. Favoritist episode ever. Um, but I tend to pick very specific episodes and very specific costumes. There are lots of people that go as Sam, Jack, Daniel, Tilk. Cam- uh, camo. A lot of people camo, wear. Camo. Yeah. A lot of uniforms mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And that's awesome. No, you know, nothing Didn't against. Didn't we have a here a year or two ago? We did have Nox a lot of pops the Nox. up every once in a while. And that was a good costume. She did a good mm-hmm. job. Yeah. When I dyed that stripe into my hair for Vala, mm-hmm. I dyed yeah. that white stripe uh-huh. into my hair. Mm-hmm. Boy, my hairdresser had a fit about that one. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean you want to bleach only a strip? Uh, <laughs> are you crazy? Oh, you're going to a sci-fi Where are you going? Oh. Well, and I didn't, and I didn't you know. Have you ever seen the show Stargate? Stargate. <laughs> Is that Star Trek? No. See, and I we just, all do it. I just started a new job, and I'm sitting there thinking... Now, I've only been working here for a couple of months. Do I really want to tell them I'm taking some time off to go to a sci-fi convention? But, you know, the people that we meet here are seamstresses and, like, Debbie Bell, one of my favorites, incredible graphics designers Mm -hmm. and witty people online who like to drive everyone nuts, like Wendy. You know, I mean, I think all of us have... uh, If I could make money off that, I'd be rich. You could, you know? Somewhere that's a marketable skill. Yes. (laughs) I'm for hire. Sarcasm. <laughs> Sarcasm by the hour. <laughs> She's talking about a new job. I just got a new job as well, and I have been so on the fence. I want to decorate my cubes so bad. <laughs> but it's going to be pictures of Jeff Flanagan and, you know, and, yeah. and, um, and then everyone's going to think you're a kook. Pretty much. I actually object to your use of the word outsider. You just said how we were all feeling like outsiders. I don't feel like an outsider, I feel like an insider. To us or... No, well, I guess... What I'm referring to is like in usually your circles, sci-fi geeks are generally considered outsiders. Well, all the normal people don't know what they're missing. All the normal geeks. All the geeks must be in New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but look at all the cool things we've done. Yeah. Yeah. We have been on a television set for two different... on on a set for two different shows. How many people get to go on a TV set for their favorite show? Yeah, but how many people care? I know a lot of people who watch TV shows that would yeah. love to meet those actors, and even though they're not sci-fi. See, it's, I, if it's their favorite show. See, yeah. I've known people who love certain television shows, but they're like, I have no interest in meeting the actress who plays them. My mother, specifically. She's like, mm. she says, I never understand what you or your friends do. I love you all, guys, but I don't understand why you have any desire to meet the people who portray your favorite stars, and I, have no des- I don't understand why you have a desire to walk down those sets. It's all fake, you know? Just, it's entertainment, move on. You know, that's her perspective. But we um, we belong to a very select group of people. Yeah. Which you, come from all walks of life, I would like to point out. Mm, I mean, there's biochemists hugely. and teachers, and uh, there was a guy from NASA down there earlier who was JPL. here. JPL? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the guy that got them the submarine mm-hmm. in the Arctic. Barry Campbell. Barry Campbell. Yeah. From Barry Campbell. Yeah. And um, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, waitresses. Nurses. We're all here. Nurses. Tax examiners. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now, that's so a whole that's different it. exclusion. <laughs> so that was our Vancouver 2009 convention panel. Thanks to Kiwi Gator, to Wendy, Lisa, Moriah, and now we have even more insight. From Miss Tammy Farrar. Yay! So, Tammy, you've listened to um, the discussion that we had about this. And tell us about your upbringing, how you got into sci-fi briefly, and how you felt as a sci-fi fan 
have you felt a little bit like an outsider? You know, you, you're lucky to have a husband who um, is really into sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I never have. I don't think that has anything to do with the fact that my family, as far as my parents or any of that, never were into sci-fi. Um, I did watch Star Trek as a kid. Um, but I think it was just more about um, who I am personally. And I think that'll kind of bear itself out when um, in, in this full discussion on how I'm perceived and as a sci-fi fan and where all that mm-hmm. took me in, in my life and my job. Um, I, I've never been an outsider to any mm-hmm. of that, you know, because of that, um, because I never let anybody perceive me that way or I never mm-hmm. perceive myself that way. Um, yeah, so I one think of the it's things, kind of along the lines that Kiwi Gator was saying. Well, one of the things that I did not touch on is that not everyone who watches like Star Trek or whatever, you know, some people just watch the show whenever it's on and are, are, are moderate viewers of it or, or watch any kind of sci-fi show whenever it's on and, 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 and go on. But with me, mm-hmm. I allowed the shows, the sci-fi shows that I watched to become a part of my identity. I allowed mm-hmm. the shows to, to help define who I was. And I think mm-hmm. that's a difference there that we did not touch on in last week's show. Yeah, there are different levels of fans, and there's a big difference between telling a non-sci-fi fan who you work with or go to school with or who's in your extended family that, oh, I watch Stargate. I watch it every week. Uh, I TiVo it. And I'm spending two or three thousand dollars to go to a convention this week <laughs> mm-hmm. i think it bears just on you know like they were saying it's all the people that you're in contact with who they are as well as who you are and like you're saying if it defines you if it doesn't define you because i think it defines me to a certain extent i can't say the same extent that like you and darren uh, because you know mm-hmm. you have you know your job has really taken you in some really incredible directions because of sci-fi and your love of sci-fi and the mm-hmm. same with Dare but you know even him you know he does this he started this as a fan site he's still pursuing a degree in theology it, it does, it's it's not everything of who he is you know and i'm not saying sci-fi is everything of who i am either but i'm i am being groomed as a as a as a producer for a for an advertising firm that works with uh, movie and television. So it is kind of becoming really part of my identity, and I don't think it ever really wasn't. Well, and that's what I'm saying. It's it's still who part of who you are, but it doesn't define who you are. It doesn't define who you are on an everyday basis. You don't walk into McDonald's and, you know, in your Star Trek costume. And, you know, so I don't, yeah, I don't see, know. That's the thing I about me. It's... I won't wear costumes, and I won't, I won't, I won't do that. <laughs> that's, and I don't... that's not because stigma but that's just not who i am i was featured in a program uh called fanatical um mm-hmm. by a toronto uh, television uh studio and they said uh, one of the things when they were out here interviewing me was um okay now we need you to strike your fan pose you need to strike <laughs> a fan pose they said okay now you need to pose for us in your fan pose and i said no i'm not going to do that and they're like but you have to but I can't. <laughs> that's now see that's it's not that's not who i am i am much more <laughs> along the side of a businessman oh, in sci-fi would... than, I, than i'm a and it took them a really long time to get over that. They, we, we, we went round and round for about 10 minutes. And I said, no, guys, I am not going to do that. Not because I'm embarrassed or anything like that, but it's, it's simply not me. And if you want to capture me, then you're going to have to ask for something else. Oh, so, David, we still have to take that picture so you can sign it for me, though. I want that picture now. <laughs> dare to dream. <laughs> Have you holding your pain stick and your Zach gun? Jeez. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, how how other people perceive us individually. Let me generalize it a bit more and talk about that sort of stereotypical way that that non sci fi fans perceive sci fi fans. And you've you've seen a million jokes on on television about it. The sci fi fan is a socially inept unadjusted nerd who lives in his parents' basement and wears mm-hmm. a Star Trek costume everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that fair? Is that who we are? Is it it's, fair it, for us to say whether or not it's fair, though? I think it is. Because we're the, we're the ones that live it. And so, yeah. yes, we, we're in a unique position to... Um, it depends. If you're you know answering it objectively, yes, I, I can say we can answer that fairly. There are some fans who, who fit that bill. So I guess what Mike question is is driving at is 
how do we feel about being grouped with those sorts of fans? Basically, I'm thinking about the conversations that I have with, with my friends and, and my professors. Uh, when I tell them things like I'm, I run a huge Stargate website and I'm going to a Stargate convention, um, I, I see the synapses firing behind their eyes and I think they're trying to place me into a box, into a category, and they're trying to figure out, is this guy like those weirdos who live in their mother's basements? Is this guy mm-hmm. not as normal as I thought he was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, and like you said, you know, you deflect it. You say, I'm going to a nerd convention. So you yep. feel the need to deflect it. I think that's where the disservice comes in, is that for so long, that is what was it was perceived as, because... It's, you know, that's what they saw the young boys going to the the smaller cons like Darren was alluding to in the last convention. It was a day thing. You know, you went, you had a good time, but it was teenage boys going. Um, They've done the spoof movies like Galaxy Quest and and that Mm -hmm. type of thing that kind of really perpetuates that. Then, you know, the stars go on talk shows and the the hosts don't want to hear about the normal fans. They don't want to hear about the people that were decent. And the whole majority of fans, they want to hear about, you know, the, the one fan who followed Katie Sackhoff into the bathroom or, you know, the other fan that, you know, accosted so-and-so here. They just they want the things that are sensationalized, which now I think is mythical because I don't think this well, sci-fi fan exists in abundance. I haven't seen a convention like that, like the sort of convention that's portrayed in uh, the old SNL sketch with mm-hmm. William Shatner. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the get a life sketch, uh, those sorts of sci-fi fans, and and the conventions like are portrayed on on The Simpsons in in the RDA episode where he goes to a Stargate yeah. convention and they're all yeah it showed that young, they didn't study at all. They're young the geeky Arp, boys. Arp yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I haven't seen a convention like that uh, in years. Certainly the conventions that we go to now, the big Stargate conventions like we just came back from, don't look like that at all. There are, it's it's heavily, uh, largely predominantly women, uh, older folks in their 30s and 40s and 50s, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're professionals. A lot of this just boils back down to it's, it's whether or not it's not whether or not we buy into it. It's the general public buying into what I feel now is you know a mass media myth. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think that the the traditional science fiction fan who lives in mom's basement and doesn't have a job and is 32 and has never kissed a girl it's there are probably a few of those out there and and you know guys we love you but uh yeah, we're, more power we're, to you. we're one of you but but yeah i think it's it's largely a media myth when you watch something like jimmy kimmel or you know that, that they want to hear about that because it's entertaining you know yeah. because it makes people laugh and we are the subject of a great deal of ridicule Ramesses 818 says, I have never been to a convention, and I would kind of like to go to one, but I know that people around me will think that I am really weird for going. They are willing to put up with me watching sci-fi shows, but I think that they think I was really weird if I went to a convention. All non-sci-fi fans think of when they think of conventions is the Trek conventions portrayed in TV and movies while dressing up as the characters and speaking Klingon. Mac Jackson says, most of the time my knowledge and love of Stargate gets a very positive response from those who are open-minded. It's always bliss to find a fellow fan who you can instantly bond and discuss every detail with. Cole Aga writes, I had a situation when a guy said he can't date me because it's unnatural for a girl to like sci-fi or the situation when my flatmate's boyfriend asked her, how can she live under one roof with such a freak? And my family, apart from my mom, who's also a sci-fi fan, they roll their eyes and hope it will pass eventually. Uh-huh. Wow. How sad. Now, see, I think this is, this is a sad state when people, you know, this doesn't define us. When you won't date someone? Yeah, because... that's... Mm-mm. Yeah. I think that says more about the other person than it does about you. So, I mean, my, you know, like I tell Cole Ag guys to be like, honey, you're, it's a good thing he left because I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know what? This, this guy is probably I'm, – I'm getting flatmate as European here. This guy is probably a huge football fan, you know, and that is socially acceptable. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Like our football fans, they paint themselves and all that. I mean, come on. How different is that from a sci-fi fan? It's, it's just not. socially acceptable. Yeah. That's so right. – 
you know, and for a girl, it's it's unnatural for a girl to like Cyber. Cole Agar, you go, girl. You know, that is sending think, such a wrong message. I feel it so is. bad. Sam Carter Rules says, My love of sci-fi seems to be something my family and friends find a bit odd. My family thinks it's geeky and weird that I relate back to things in Stargate when they're talking about real-life stuff. It really annoys them to when I can quote lines from the show and name episodes just by the 30-second teaser. I remember sitting on the, uh, on the patio in my backyard eating, um, eating uh, summer dinner with, uh, with, my, with my family, I believe in 1997, and I was talking about, you know, yeah, they just announced Star Trek First Contact, and, and, uh, and Zephram Cochran's going to be in it, and I'm really excited. Yeah. And my mom says, Sweet. And my mom says, that's great, David. Now, um, now when are you going to work on your grade point average? And she later recanted in in this in this Canadian documentary that I was talking about. She later recanted saying, you know, he found his world and was able to market himself in it. And she never saw that coming because my parents did not encourage me to to enjoy science fiction to the extent that I did. They absolutely did not. I can do the exact same thing with MASH. So does that make me weird, too? I can name an episode and quote lines from the show from the from a commercial on MASH. You know, within the first minute, I can tell you everything about the episode. How many people do that for movies and stuff? Think about that. How many people watch movies and quote lines? How many people watch other shows and can do the exact same thing? So Sam Carter Rules is normal in my book. And Shadow Matt says, I was always the freak of the family, but it was a very tongue-in-cheek thing. If anything, I think my family is kind of proud of me and my oddballitude. Among friends, yeah, I was the weird one, and in school I was definitely ostracized and ridiculed. You know, again, I think it, it has to be culture, and it has to be the people around you. You are not defined by other people. I guess it depends on, on that, and sadly, if other people are that um, uh, obtuse and that petty. The hard thing is, is there's nothing you can do about it, but... Um, you know, Except I know I give was told, up who you are for someone else, and that's right. And I was, yeah. all. And I've always told my kids, no matter what the the thing is, is that you are awesome. You are an awesome individual, and there's nobody like you. So you know what? Smile, hold your head up, and have a good time. And you know, the people that are going to recognize that, that's who's going to be around you, and they're going to enjoy you for who you are. Thanks, mom. <laughs> you're a good parent. You're a good parent. You're not one that says, "Well, you're, um, you know, you're a nonconformist." So, uh, so uh, you know, I, I I renounce you, or you're, you know, you're you're way too feminist for me, so I renounce you, or you're you're gay, and I don't accept you for who you are, so I renounce you. You know, you're you're a good parent. Well, I'm very big on be who you are. I've never said to anybody you should be rude or be nasty or be snotty. But you should always stand up for yourself and be exactly who you are in the best way you can be. Unconditional love. Yeah. There's and, not nearly know, enough of it. And the people that gravitate towards that are going to be people that, um, you know, have that same, you know, hopefully have that same kind of self-confidence. And if they don't, send them over to my house for a couple hours. And we have one voicemail on this topic. Hi, guys. This is David from St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, my love of sci-fi does make me the odd man out in my family. No one else has really picked it up like I have. Uh, I have one or two friends who are into it, but I wouldn't say to the extent that I am. Uh, in regards to work, however, I have found that there are a good handful of people who do enjoy both uh, Stargate and Star Trek. Thanks, David, for your voicemail. We've established how much of the world perceives many of us who are listening. So what do we do about it? You know, and like Tammy's saying, live out loud um, and just not care. You know, no matter how much scorn or ridicule it gives you, live out loud. I mean, I, I think every situation is going to be different, you know. Depending on where you live, there, there are people who will kill you for, for behaving a, a certain way. Yes, people are going to ridicule and scorn for, you know, the fact that you wore the wrong, wrong jeans, you know, especially mm -hmm. for high school kids. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just meaning more of be confident in yourself. I don't mean you have to yeah. be out there. When Living out loud doesn't mean you're a boisterous, noisy person. It just means that you're living with a set of rules that are for you um, mm -hmm. that, you know, it's integrity. It's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're honorable. You know, everything you do is you don't it, – it can be reviewed. You know, mm -hmm. there's nothing I've done that I need to hide from anybody. That is what living out loud is to me. 
and I don't have to keep secrets from people. I don't have to keep anything from my kids, from my parents, from my husband, you know, because I live my life in a way that if you caught any aspect of it, I have nothing to say I'm sorry for. I didn't do it. You know, everything I've done is above board. I've lived a respectful life. And so when I say be who you are, it's just a confidence in yourself. It's this is who I am, and I'm okay with who I am, and I'm okay with who you are. So if you don't like who I am, well, that's cool. I'll walk this way. And I understand for teenagers and for kids, that's a little tougher to just say, I'm cool. I'm going to walk this way. They need to be able to work on that, that, that confidence. And we're not talking just self-esteem or any of that. They just need to have confidence in the fact that, you know what, this is not a bad thing. It, you know, there's a lot of good in it. And you're hearing about ideals. And they may be you know, over-the-top ideals sometimes. Um, but you know, just basic things, integrity, character, um, standing up for your buddies, uh, you know, standing up for families. You know, it's, it's all basic formula stuff that makes life good. So the fact that you're in it and the fact that you're, you know, you want to be part of it and you enjoy it, you know what? Good for you. And that's what it means. Listener mail. Big, big thanks to Tammy for joining us for that discussion. Big, big. Uh, We've got a couple other pieces of mail. First, let's listen to some voicemail. Hey, guys, this is Schmintz from uh, Detroit, Michigan, and I just got done listening to the uh, season, uh, Stargate Season 2 uh, podcast, and I just wanted to thank you so much for your take on Battlestar at the end of the uh, podcast. I, I, it was totally unexpected, and that was a real Easter egg. And uh, your guys' take was just, it was just fantastic to hear, and I, I was just, uh, it was such a pleasant surprise. I hope you guys do stuff like that more often. I really, really appreciate it. It was, uh, I got to the end of the normal podcast, and all of a sudden I heard the Battlestar music, and I thought, well, what is this now? <laughs> and you guys went into it, and the fact that you did it unannounced it made it even cooler. So uh, thanks again for your best podcast yet. Uh, you guys take care and have a great Easter. Schmintz, we had a whole lot of fun talking about the Battlestar finale, and we're definitely going to do more of it. Somebody actually asked us on the forum last week, if you and I were going to talk about the new Star Trek movie when it came out, and I said that there's no way we could possibly not talk about it. I think we should do that, which means I need to find a babysitter so that I can see it in the theater. In other listener mail, we have Ramesses818. In the Season 2 podcast, a listener asked which gate has dominance with Atlantis on Earth. They mentioned in the season finale that they had a problem at Midway Station with the two gates, Milky Way and Pegasus, that the Pegasus gate had dominance. They make mention to the fact that this is what the Wraith knew about and why they brought their own gate along since they couldn't dial into Earth to block out the gate as a means of escape and instead put a gate in orbit which would have dominance. I wanted to include uh, Ramsey's email here because it's, it brings up a couple points that I want to talk about uh, from our discussion about the which gate has dominance. Uh, and it's because I just watched this episode on the airplane to Vancouver. I watched Enemy at the Gate. Uh, and it sent off the, the bells and said, oh, this is, this is what we were looking for. Uh, so thanks, Ramsey's, for pointing this out. Uh, we talked about whether now that there is, is a second gate on Earth, the, the Atlantis gate, mm-hmm. which one would have dominance to receive the wormhole if somebody were to dial to Earth? Uh, and the conclusion is that, that the Atlantis gate has dominance. Uh, and, and you were saying it's, I think it's because it, it has a DHD, it's, it's plugged into a DHD and that mm-hmm. gives it dominance. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, well, it's also a newer gate and it's digital versus analog, so maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's dialogue in this episode that says that specifically a Pegasus gate will have dominance over a Milky Way gate, and that's the problem that they had to find a workaround for at the Midway station, which had one of each. Oh, okay. So that's the first point. It, it does sound from, from Enemy at the Gate like a Pegasus gate is going to override a Milky Way gate, even if the Milky Way gate did have a DHG. Uh, cool. And the other thing that this brings up is uh, the Wraith strategy. And I don't remember if we talked about this when we did our Enemy at the Gate podcast. Um, The strategy for the Wraith normally is they dial in to a Stargate of a planet that they're attacking to prevent anybody from being able to dial out and escape. They couldn't do that when they were attacking Earth in Enemy at the Gate. So what they did instead was they brought a Pegasus Gate on their ship uh, and and the explanation was, I, I don't know if it was in the episode, but somehow that prevented us from being able to dial out. Because escape. their gate would have been dominant. Well, now I understand how 
their gate would receive an incoming wormhole, but why would that prevent us from dialing out of the SGC? Because we know that when there were two gates on Earth in Watergate, that the other gate, the one being operated by the Russians, could dial out. Just the fact that there is a Stargate in the neighborhood doesn't prevent you from dialing out. You're listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Uh, a few of you uh, were commenting on the forum uh, a couple weeks ago. We were mentioning uh, a, a special episode and a special female guest. And I, I uh, was uh, talking with Darren and saying, you know, I think she's interested in it. A lot of people were thinking Amanda Tapping. And I knew that's what was going to happen. Uh, no. Uh, that would be fun. I, yes. Oh, absolutely. And, and one of these days, I'm sure we can get her. But the female in question is Chase Masterson, who is uh, who played Lita on Deep Space Nine. Chase is a uh, well-known sci-fi uh, podcast personality and uh, a friend of mine. And we're going to have her on a future podcast at some point, probably more along the time after universes come out. We're gonna we're gonna talk with her because Chase is a, is a Stargate fan. Mm-hmm. So I would really like her to join us because a I think she's spectacular and 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 b she's she's a fan of the a fan of the show. So we are going to go ahead and bump that off the schedule. We mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that it was a maybe it was to be determined. Uh, now instead, on April twenty first next week, we're talking about uh, advanced technology as a storytelling device or as a crutch. So that's the listener question for this week. Do you think that Stargate has ever fallen back on technology as a storytelling crutch? Or is new technology fundamental to what Stargate is all about? Looking forward to that discussion next week. That is going to be a very interesting discussion. And then on April 28th, we're back around to Stargate history. We'll be doing the third season of Stargate SG-1. And then it's uh, philosophy again on May 5th topic is what is ascension not, not just ascension in, in, in stargate but uh, you know i think we can we can broaden it up a little bit to talk about um mm-hmm. uh, the shedding of the physical in 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 the sci-fi territory i think it'll be uh, a very yeah, interesting that, show that sort of theme shows up in a lot of different shows and films i'm thinking um you and i just saw knowing the new yes. Nicolas cage movie there's a little bit of that in there yes um I'm thinking about the wormhole aliens in Deep Space Nine, sort yes. of have an ascended being quality to them. The celestial temple quality in the celestial temple. So uh, yeah, let's make that uh, Stargate certainly, but also general sci-fi. And I'm interested in that as a as a student of of religion and theology. Uh, what are the themes involved with uh, consciousness and higher powers and higher planes, and angels? It'll be fun. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks once again to Tammy Farrar from Gate World Forum for joining us for the main discussion. And for all the Vancouver ladies, in this episode we talked about perceptions of sci-fi fans. We also gave you a preview of our upcoming interview with Brad Wright and Robert C. Cooper. Look for that on GateWorld.net in just a few days. And for links to everything we talked about today, head over to GateWorld right now and look for the episode number 38 show notes. We appreciate your feedback. Give us a call at our hotline, 616-712-1647. Or hop on over to the podcast feedback thread in GateWorld Forum, or look for the comment feed beneath episode 38 show notes. For GateWorld, this is Darren. And this is David. And we'll see you right back here next week for another installment of the GateWorld Podcast. Podcast.